Okay, let's pray. Dear God, uh, our Father in heaven, we come before you and we want to learn from your word. And we want to thank you that finals is over. Maybe that's a breath of relief for some of us. And God, I know maybe a lot of us are exhausted. Thank you that um, those who have showed up are still here, God. And I pray that would be changed by your word and that um, small group would be a time where we can sharpen and challenge and encourage one another uh, today. So Lord, please help us to be attentive uh, to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, so today is the final and third parts of the Lord's Prayer, part three. So thank you guys again for being here. I know uh, finals is over. Christmas break has uh, commenced and you're ready to unwind and relax. And, you know, can you believe it? Uh, Christmas is next Friday. Um, and I'm sure you guys have heard, but with the vaccines uh, being announced and uh, makes me kind of wonder, will things go back to normal soon? I'm not sure. And so with so much change still going on, um, it's really fitting as the year comes to a close that we remember the reason why we celebrate. And it's because of Jesus, um, that the birth of our savior, Jesus, it is the reason for our joy. And even now, I don't know if Christmas is going to be different for you guys, uh, being on lockdown, maybe you won't celebrate the same way, but we can still remember that there can still be real joy for Christians, um, around the world. So I want to encourage you guys with that, uh, even as finals is over, um, to continue remembering the reason for the season. Um, and so it's with that, um, after Jesus is born, he will grow up to be the greatest teacher in the world, but even more than that, the savior of the world. And he teaches his disciples how to pray. And that's what we are, um, going to finish today. And if you're here for the first time in a while, uh, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray during a sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the greatest sermon ever recorded by the greatest teacher ever. So this could uh, be called the greatest sermon in history, if we put it that way. Um, and so Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And so it'd be wise of us to pay attention to what Jesus is teaching us. It's a privilege. And I shared this slide last week, but the Lord's Prayer, I broke it up into three brief sections that there is an address that we address God as our father in heaven. And there are six petitions or requests that we make to God. The first three help us to say, behold our God and helps us to see the glory of God do these through these three petitions. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And today we're going to finish off with uh, the second part of the petition the last three petitions, which help us see that, Lord, we need you. And so last week we went through petition four, which is give us this day our daily bread. And today we're going to finish petition five and petition six, which focuses on forgiveness and not leading us into temptation. All right. So those are the last two that we're going to focus on today. And this will be the entirety of the Lord's prayer. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter six. I will have the verses on the screen, but it's always nice to see the entire context. So I always encourage um, to have open Bibles. So we'll be in Matthew chapter six. And we'll start in verse nine. I'm going to read the entirety of the Lord's prayer, just so we see the entire uh, prayer in context. 
Matthew chapter 6, verses 9. And we'll read until verse 13. Okay, uh, let me read the entirety of the Lord's Prayer. It starts with verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so I said last week that these final three petitions, some people say, some scholars say that it covers everything that any human being could ever need in life to survive and to thrive. And so petition four focuses on what we physically need, food, water, shelter. It's basically saying, God, don't let me die. Just help me survive. That's our physical need. But now in petitions five and six, now we see our spiritual need and our greatest spiritual need is to be forgiven of our sins and to be in a right relationship with the Holy God. And so that's why petition five is asking for forgiveness of sins. And petition number six, after we've been forgiven of sins, we have to continue walking in the way of holiness. So you can kind of see the flow. Petition four is God keep me alive. Petition five is Lord forgive me of my sins. And petition six is Lord help me to continue avoiding sin and walking in your ways. So in this way, it really captures the entirety, the totality of every human need. It can fall in these three categories. All right, so uh, starting with petition five, I'll title this section that we are forgiven by God to forgive others. And for petition five is when Jesus instructs us to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven, forgiven our debtors. And so Jesus, he uses the term debt. Now, a debt is something you owe to someone. If I borrow $5 from you to buy a $5 footlong from Subway, you know, I probably order an Italian BMT, which is the best flavor. I would now owe you $5 because I borrowed $5 from you. Uh, for seniors going to college, some of you may have to take out a student loan. And after you graduate, uh, you might owe the bank money. That is a debt. And I remember in high school, I was about 17 or 18 years old. I was driving to a volleyball tournament and I was late. And so I was speeding to the tournament location. I had to find a parking really quick, but all parking was filled up. And so I just found a random uh, business parking lot and I just parked there and I sprinted to catch up with the rest of my team. All right, and then we did our volleyball thing. Tournament was over. I came back to my parking lot and lo and behold, I couldn't find my car. And my brother turned to me, he was like, are you sure you parked here? Maybe you parked uh, somewhere else. And I knew in my mind, a thousand percent, I parked in this parking lot. And I didn't realize what I actually did was I parked in a tow-away zone for business uh, people only, customers only. And so what happened was my dad had to drive me to the car pound and uh, get my car back. And the car pound, it looks like what do you think it might look like in the movies? It's run down, it's dirty, metal fences, bunch of dirty cars. That's really what it looks like. And I remember we went to the car or we went to the window uh, to get my car back. And the guy said it was like three or $400. And I thought, what? Like, why would it cost that much to just get my car out of a pound? Like, this is a scam. I'm a high school student. I don't have that kind of money. Um, and I was pretty angry. Um, but I knew like, 
it was my fault. I did break the city parking law and I was, I owed the money. If I didn't pay it back, I would be in debt, but I couldn't pay that money. And so I saw my dad take out his wallet and take out enough uh, $20 bills to pay uh, what I owed and release me from that fine uh, that I would have owed. And so I got back into my car and I vowed to never park in a tow away zone ever again. And to always double check the signs. Um, and so that's a small example of a potential debt I could have owed, but someone stepped in, my dad stepped in. Now that's the modern times. In the ancient world, debt worked a little bit differently. If you were in debt, you could be thrown in jail. Uh, debt threatened your life and the life of your family. Uh, so by throwing you in jail, it kind of put pressure on the rest of your family to uh, pay up and come up with the money. And so Jesus understood uh, the background of the term debt. And that's why he's trying to communicate that all of humanity, we are in debt against God that we cannot owe. Just as 16 or 17 year old me could not pay off that $300 or $400 debt to, I guess, the city of Anaheim, all of humanity likewise is unable to pay off the debt against God for violating his laws and command. And just as I needed an interceder, I needed my dad to pay that $300 or $400 fine. We as human sinners, we need someone to intercede on our behalf and pay what we cannot pay on our own. And so to become a Christian, it's to say and admit, I can't pay off the debt that I owe. I can never be right with God. I rightfully broke his commands, but somebody stepped in. Jesus kept God's commands on my behalf and he died on the cross for the sins of the world when I should have been the one on that cross. So becoming a Christian, it's not just about being a good person. It's not about just dropping into church every couple months just to make sure you're good with God. That's not what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to admit that you owe something to God, that you have violated his commands and now you are in debt. And it's only by the blood of Christ that forgives you. This is what it means to be a believer. You have faith on the cross of Jesus to cover your sins. This is the gospel message. And I have to pause here because the Lord's prayer, it's so short, but it exposes the condition of every human heart that every single person here, we are guilty of violating God's law and we are in debt to him. And so what's our punishment? Well, first physical death that death is a result of sin, that we will all die and be buried six, foot, six feet under the ground one day. But secondly, we will all suffer a spiritual death. And this is to be eternally separated from the goodness, grace, presence, and love of God after we die. This is hell. And so if we lived a life rejecting God in the life to come, in the afterlife, God is simply giving us what we want in existence apart from him. And so if we desire to live a life apart from God, well, when we die and we stand before God, why would we want to live a life with him in the life to come? It's actually quite logical if you think about it. So let me ask you, how do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as, you know, I'm a generally good kid. I haven't broken any real laws. I haven't murdered anybody. And I get decent grades, maybe Bs, uh, but most a, mostly As. How bad could I really be? If I died, that's kind of cruel for God to condemn me to hell. I'm not that bad. 
Is that how you view yourself? Or do you view yourself as someone who is justly guilty before a holy God, someone who has rightly, uh, who's rightly deserving of punishment, of eternal separation from God? The path to the Christian faith begins with the awareness that you and I stand condemned before a holy God. And it's only because of the blood of Christ that we've, we can be forgiven. And it's why we pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, if you're a Christian, we still pray this prayer. Why? Well, it's because even as Christians, we still sin every single day. Let me give you a, a silly example. Uh, here's a picture of a cockroach, a cartoon cockroach, because uh, I didn't have the nerve to post uh, real life cockroaches um, for you guys. But at my old house, I had a cockroach infestation. Uh, it was super disgusting. And there had to be a couple of nests underneath like uh, the ground in the backyard. And it would keep reproducing hundreds and maybe thousands of cockroaches. Who knows? I can't see underground. Now, let's say I was able to somehow eliminate the nest of the cockroaches, right? I solved the greatest problems. There'll no longer be any more new cockroaches being re reproduced, but there's still a problem. There are still hundreds and thousands of cockroaches in my house that still comes out at night and it might take months to eliminate. So in a similar way, if you're a Christian, in a sense, the queen, the, the nest or the queen cockroach has been eliminated, meaning you are no longer under the rule of Satan. You are no longer under the kingdom of darkness. But now as a Christian, you're now under the rule of Christ. You now have the Holy Spirit who dwells within you and you are now one with Christ. So in a sense, we have eliminated uh, the nest, but there's still a problem that there are still thousands of cockroaches that in a sense, as Christians, we still struggle with indwelling sin. And just as it will take months to probably eliminate the hundreds and thousands of cockroaches at my mom's house, sorry, mom, it will take a lifetime for Christians, you and I, to eliminate and to defeat sin. As long as we are living and breathing in this lifetime, we will struggle with sin. And it's why we have to ask God daily for forgiveness. There's not a day that goes by where we do not sin. Every day we sin in attitude, in thoughts, and in life. We will never be perfect on this side of heaven. Even think about this past week during finals week. Was there a moment when you compromised your integrity and you cheated and you asked people for answers? Maybe it was an attitude you had toward your, towards your parents. You're so annoyed at them for bothering you because you have to study for your finals. And so you lashed out at them or you cussed out a sibling for bothering you while you're studying. Whatever it is, as Christians, we sin every day. And so we need to ask God for forgiveness. Now, here's another question. How do I know if I've actually comprehended the forgiveness of God? Here's a question. Are you willing to forgive those who wrong you? You know you comprehend and have experienced the forgiveness of God when you're willing to forgive other people. In this verse as a whole, it says, God, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God will only forgive your sins 
if you forgive other people, that's wrong. That is legalism and you're tying God's forgiveness on your good works. That's not what I'm talking about. It can probably be translated as forgive us alike um, as we strive to forgive our debtors. One commentator, uh, Leon Morris says this, prayer recognizes that we have no right to seek forgiveness for our own sins if we are withholding forgiveness from others. So basically, if you vow to never forgive someone and to hold a vengeful spirit against someone in your life, it begs the question, have you truly comprehended your own debt owed against God and his forgiveness for you? If you have your Bibles, I want to turn you to a story that illustrates this, actually a parable. Uh, turn to Matthew uh, chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. This is the parable of the ungrateful servants. It's just a couple pages past Matthew 6. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 18. And I have an image, uh, just an artist's rendition of the ungrateful servant um, I just found online. So listen along or read along as I read Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Pause there because a talent is 20 years worth of wages. So in uh, 2011, which is when my commentator was written, that's about $600,000. And if it's 10,000 talents, that's about $6 billion dollars. So this servant owes a king $6 billion. Keep that in mind. Let's go back to verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Let's pause here. A hundred denarii is about 20 weeks wages for common labor. So that's about $9,600 if minimum wage is 12 bucks as it is in California. So the original servant owed $6 billion. The servant's servant owed $9,600 but he's not grateful. Look at verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you 
if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's stop there. Powerful words. This picture is of the original servant, the guy who owes $6 billion, and he's choking his servant who only owes $9,600. You would think this guy's ungrateful. He was just forgiven $6 billion and he can't even uh, cut some slack for a servant who owes him $9,600. This is insane. But do you get the point? It's the same with you and I. If you are a true Christian, you realize that God has forgiven you of a lifetime of debt, comparable to $6 billion, because none of us are billionaires. We have been forgiven and released and no longer guilty to serve an eternity in hell. We can be with God forever, but yet we can turn around to our neighbor, our brother, our sister, our friend, our family, and we withhold forgiveness from them. What does this say about your heart if you cannot forgive someone who has wronged you when God has forgiven you of so much? Have you truly comprehended the love of God? Might I even add, have you truly understood the gospel of God's forgiveness if you cannot forgive your own brother or sister in Christ? These are powerful words when we ask God to forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Here's our application for this. Daily confess your sins before God and ask for his forgiveness. It's pretty straightforward. I don't really have to get creative with this. But here's the thing. It's straightforward, but how many of you actually daily come before God and confess your sins? If you don't confess your sins to God daily, what does that reveal about you? Could it reveal that, you know, I don't think I'm that bad. I don't think I did anything that wrong. If you're not sure how you messed up, ask God. Psalm 139 asks us to ask God to search our hearts and to see if there's any uh, sinful ways among us. And we ask God to lead us in the way everlasting. Ask God how you fell into sin and trust that God will bring that and convict your heart of that. Secondly, is examine if you're withholding forgiveness from someone in your life and ask God for the strength to forgive. If you are withholding forgiveness from someone in your life, I want you to meditate on the forgiveness of God. I know I'm running out of time, but I was going to share a story of how my mom and I, we really at times didn't have the best relationship. I often found, my time, found times when I was really bitter at her and I didn't want to forgive her for maybe some of the ways that she raised me or I felt she could have done better. And this kind of carried itself into adulthood. And I remember one time my mom told me that, and she didn't make up this quote, but she said, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Meaning for me, I wanted to remain bitter. I didn't want to forgive my mom and I wanted to hurt her in that way but I didn't really realize I was the one that was dying inside. The only person I was really hurting in my bitterness was, was me. Um, and so I could share that story maybe one-on-one, -on -one, but I don't have time now. So I have to move on, but examine if you are withholding forgiveness from someone in your life. All right. So that's the petition number five um, to be forgiven by God so that we can forgive our debtors. But now we also have to walk rightly with God. And this leads us to our sixth petition which I'll call the need to be delivered from sin and temptation. This is petition number six. 
the final one, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we pray this prayer, we're not saying that God can lead us into temptation. Remember, James says that God tempts no one. Only the devil can tempt people. But we are asking that God would never place us in a position or in a circumstance where we might be tempted to sin. And so another way to translate deliver us from evil could be to rescue us from danger. So you can imagine a burning building and you are in a room and you're crying out for the firefighter to find you, to rescue you. And likewise, we have to cry out to God, God, save me from this situation. Save me from this temptation. Deliver us from evil. And when it says evil, this could mean uh, evil in general, any sin, or it could mean evil one, meaning Satan. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Uh, any tempting situation, we need God's deliverance in. So you could pray to God, God, help me not to be alone at night at 2 a.m. in the morning on my computer, on my phone, because I'll probably look at something lustful that late at night. God, help me to not follow certain YouTube channels, certain Instagram users or Reddit subreddits, because I know they have content that will pollute my mind and cause me to sin against you. God, help me to be content and not chase after a boyfriend or girlfriend because I don't want to give into temptation. I know that people make mistakes when they're younger and I don't want to put my source of happiness in another person. God, please don't let me be invited to group chats when people are cheating and sharing answers. God, please don't help me become popular because sometimes I'm afraid the popularity or the fame will make me feel arrogant or prideful. And so when we're asking God to lead us not into temptation, we're asking God to remove us from situations in life that can tempt us. And sometimes that can hurt. All right, so my application for this, lead us not into temptation is number one, daily ask God to deliver you from the temptation that you face. Again, I'm not getting creative. I don't need to get creative because Jesus is so masterful. He just lays it out for you. But let me ask you another question. Are you truly fighting against sin? Or are you giving into sin? You don't really put up a fight. You long for the pleasures of sin and you just give in. I know as teenagers, maybe you feel like your body is going haywire. You have these impulses and you feel like you have to act on them immediately. And you know what? The truth is, it is far easier to give into temptation than it is to fight it. But that's not the, the path or the life God has called us to. We have to declare war on sin. We do not waltz or dance or flirt with sin. We need God's help. So I want to say something in my second application, which is to be careful of Christmas break. There are some dangers that are going to approach you with two or three weeks of Christmas break. That's a lot of time at home. That's a lot of time to be bored. That's a lot of time to be idle. You guys have been going 500 miles per hour the last couple of weeks. And all of a sudden you're going to have so much time on your hands. That's going to be dangerous. And the devil will want to capitalize on that. I shared this before, but I want to share this again. Here are three things I see, three dangers that can happen over Christmas break. Number one is laziness. Now, you guys have been working hard, and it's not wrong to take a break. It's not wrong to play some video games. It's not wrong to watch a movie, sleep in, read a book for fun, or just do nothing because uh, that's okay. But the thing is, there's a limit to that. 
you shouldn't live a slothful lifestyle. You shouldn't be binging an anime all day. All right. You shouldn't be waking up at 2 PM, going to the fridge, microwaving some food, going back to your room, shutting in and playing video games all day and just ignoring everyone else in your life. That's, that's not the way Christ has called us to be. It can be so easy to just lie on your back, uh, have your phone scrolling, just mindlessly think, oh, I'm just going to, you know, check my, my social media feed. Before you know it, it's been two hours. You're watching a YouTube video on wild animals in um, Africa, <laughs> something like that. So be careful of how you use your time. You were made for more. So take a break, but don't go crazy. Don't go overboard. Spend time with your family. Recommit your life to God. Um, get back on track with devotions. Take a walk around the neighborhood. Do something to serve other people. So be careful of the laziness on Christmas break. Secondly, be careful of lust. With all the free time, you may be tempted to give in and take pleasures in things you know you shouldn't be. Lustful images and videos. You know, it was recorded that when COVID first hit with everyone back at home, pornography use spiked in usage because people don't know what to do. They're bored and they have to find something to get themselves out of their boredom. And so you might find yourself alone at night. You might find yourself up um, 5 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning. You might find yourself isolated in your own room for the rest of your family because your house is pretty big. And you might be tempted to go to lust, to find pleasure in these images or videos. And I want to warn you, that's going to come for you. I mean, it was always present, but with Christmas break, it don't be surprised if the temptation just amplifies tenfold. You need to ask God to deliver you from temptation. Lastly is loneliness. Let me be clear. Loneliness is not necessarily a sin, but it's the result of living in a fallen world. It's a result of living in a broken and sinful world. So being lonely, it's not necessarily a sin, but my question is, how do you cope with your loneliness? How do you cope with your loneliness? Um, do you just eat or snack all day to make yourself feel better? Do you um, get envious of other people who have better lives on social media and you look down on them? Or do you spiral out, spiral out of control in your own mind? How will you deal with loneliness? Be prepared for that on Christmas break when all of a sudden you don't have homework or you don't have as much homework and you're gonna have a lot of time. Be careful when loneliness sets in. How do you cope with that? Reach out to a friend, FaceTime somebody, pray to God. And ask God, ultimately, ask him to deliver you from this situation where you might be tempted to sin in order to self-medicate yourself. Pray that God will lead you out of temptation. All right. Um, I know I'm going a little bit overboard. Uh, please bear with me a little bit. I'll, I'll finish soon. Before I get the big idea, I want to give some final thoughts on the doxology. If you've grown up memorizing the Lord's Prayer, you might have heard uh, us and the Lord's Prayer with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the reason it might not be in your Bible is because it doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts uh, of Matthew or of Luke that document the Lord's Prayer. So likely, it was probably a later addition by the early church to give the prayer more of, I guess, uh, a clean resolution to tie it up nicely in a bow. 
Now, is it wrong to say this doxology? No, because it is biblical and it's actually, it seems inspired from another doxology in the Bible from 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 13. But it's just good to remember that it, it's not inspired scripture. It's not canon. Um, so it can still be helpful, but just don't treat it on the same level as scripture. So that's the last thing I'll uh, say about that. Big idea for today is this. <clears throat> the Lord's Prayer answers, number one, humanity's greatest physical need to physically stay alive. And number two, humanity's greatest spiritual need to be forgiven by God and to walk in holiness. If I were to summarize the second half of the Lord's Prayer, it would be and it would address our greatest needs. All right, so as I finish out the Lord's Prayer, I hope that you commit to praying this prayer every single day. It doesn't mean you have to pray it word for word. Um, you can if you want, but let it be a pattern. Let it be a, a springboard or a launch pad when you think of a certain phrase that allows you to um, launch into prayer with God and to pray with him and to talk to him. And so I don't care what happens. There could be a pandemic going on. Uh, we could lose our entire houses, our families. But if we commit to this prayer, it reminds us of what's important in life, the kingdom of God, the will of God, and to treat his name as holy. So I pray that you guys will commit to this prayer. It's not just in Christmas break, but for the rest of your lives. So let me pray for us now, and then we'll go into uh, small groups. <clears throat> Lord, Father, as we finish the Lord's Prayer, Lord, we want to recognize that your name is holy. Your name is worthy to be worshipped. And only you alone should we worship and to give our heart to. And as we seek your kingdom first, Lord, please keep us alive. Keep, uh, provide our daily bread. Give us the bowl of cereal that we need each morning. Give us shelter and a loving family. And God, help us to repent before you daily and to um, continue walking in holiness with you. And Lord, as I close this prayer, I want to pray the Lord's Prayer together as a unicoid body because you have instructed us to pray in this way. So I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer as I close. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thank you, God, for teaching us how to pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>